I feel like understanding why you have to do it that way is really important. Like, why do you have to use parameterized queries? Well, because when you do that, those parameters that come in are treated as data and they're never treated as code. And the way injection happens is you've tricked an interpreter into thinking some of your data is actually code and they think it's your code. So they should trust it and they should like run it. We don't want that because that's an attacker's code. That's obviously a potential disaster. And so parameterized query takes all the power away from it and isolates it to only be treated as data. And then you've just destroyed any sort of attack. And they're like, oh, I had no idea. I thought they just wanted it that way. And so when you explain all the reasons behind something, it becomes more important. Hello, and welcome to Developer's Journey, the podcast bringing you the making of stories of successful software developers to help you on your upcoming journey. I'm your host, Tim Bourguignon. On this episode 220, I receive Tanya Janka. Tanya is the author of Alice and Bob Learn Application Security. She is a director of developer relations and community at Bright Security. And she's the founder of WeHack Purple, an online learning community revolving around teaching everyone to create secure software. Tanya has been working for over 25 years coding, working in IT, or simply being busy securing all the things. Tanya, welcome to Dev Journey. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> We've been laughing already for, for 15 minutes, so I'm really pleased. <laughs> this discussion is going to be awesome. But before we come to your story, I want to thank the terrific listeners who support the show every month. You are keeping the Dev Journey lights up. If you would like to join this fine crew and help me spend more time on finding phenomenal guests than editing audio tracks, please go to our website devjourney.info and click on the support me on Patreon button. Even the smallest contributions are giant steps toward a sustainable dev journey. Journey? Thank you. And now back to today's guest. So Tanya, as you know, the show exists to help the listeners understand what your story looked like and imagine how to shape their own future. So as is usual on the show, let's go back to your beginnings. Where would you place the start of your dev journey? I would say it started when I was eight or nine years old. So my, so I have three uncles that are computer scientists and two aunts that are computer scientists. Wow! So turns everyone in my family, yeah, everyone <laughs> coded. And <laughs> unlike most little girls who were born in the seventies, they didn't usually have a whole bunch of role models to look up to that were women that were into computer science and programming and stuff. And so I remember my uncle made us a computer and he programmed it and its name was Mikey. And he programmed it so that it would say, hello, my name is Mikey, what is your name? And then we would type in our name and it would say hello to us. And we could do this little tiny program within have our computer talk to us. And most people didn't even have a home computer at that point. So it was pretty amazing. We had one and that it could speak. And so then when I got to high school, my parents said, you know, you just want to take one programming class. You don't have to take more, but you have to take one just to see if you like it. And then I loved it. And then I took the next one and the next one. And I really, I thought it was so amazing that I could create something out of nothing. And so I remember I wrote a math program to test all the math students, but so that every person in the class could have a different test. 
and that it would automatically mark them and give them their value. And I made it with my friend who I'm still friends with today. And we made it so that if you failed, it would go beep, beep, beep. And then it would flash loser, loser. <laughs> it wasn't. So, so I tried and then I made one like how to play guitar and how to do all these other things. And so I started working at Nortel, which was a giant telecommunication company in Canada. The moment I was 18, I was like, let's get started now. So that was 1997. So that was a while ago. And then I decided, you know, I took another year of computer science in high school and I was really lucky to have this teacher who was super passionate. So he would stay after school with me because I obviously had to program all sorts of crazy things, like everything I could think of. And he encouraged me so much. So I think having a family that encouraged it and then having a teacher that really was super passionate about it. And then I went to college and I remember the first year, the guy was like, why are you even taking first year? You should just start in second year. This is ridiculous. Well, blah, blah. I'm like, I want easy A's. And I learned a lot of things like how you should comment and formatting and all these other things that I didn't teach me in high school. And like how to write an app that other people could read and other people could actually maintain when you're not there. Because in high school, it's just like, hey, it works. Oh my gosh. But in, in college, it's like, did you test it? Did you cop doc like, did you write documentation? Did you follow a system development life cycle? And I was like, what's that? <laughs> so I got to learn all those things. And I'm extremely extroverted, which is not very common in computer science. So I was the class president all four years in a row. And I had an apartment next to my college, so I'd have these huge parties. And so I, I knew lots of people and I, I just like, this is the best. And so then I graduated exactly when the bubble burst for IT for the, Ouch. yeah, right in 2000, the worst time ever. And so I ended up working at, a like I started my own company and it failed. So I started working at a computer repair shop for a year, which I found very humbling because I am that unusual person. Like I've never worked at like Subway or McDonald's or in the food industry or doing like I started immediately in IT and that's highly unusual to just like start sort of at the top, if that makes sense. And to find software development jobs like as young as 18 years old and, and then like start my own company for the first time at 23. Like that's not the normal progression for a lot of people. And so I found working at a computer repair shop with Every single person who comes to see you is ticked off. Mm -hmm. So I got really good at delivering bad news in a good way and like de-escalating things. <laughs> and I learned a lot about Apple computers because there's an Apple computer repair shop. And so then I, you know, finally things picked up. I got another programming job and then I just did software development forever. I just loved it. I thought it was really great. And so on top of that, I was a professional musician. So I programmed during the day and then I play at bars, not necessarily every single week, but at least once a month, if not a few times per month. And I released a bunch of solo albums and then a bunch of albums with different bands. And so I played guitar, drums and sing. And I did punk rock. Like I played on the Vans Warped Tour in 2005. But then I did like all this folk singing and independent like singer songwriter stuff. And so that ties in later. So that was like this passion that I had on the side. And then I met this pen tester. So he is a security dude and he is in a band and I is in a band. And so he was working at my office doing a pen test. And I was like, hey, I'm Tanya and I'm in a band and I heard you're in a band. And he's like, yeah, man, I do prog rock. And I was like, we do power pop, but it's like comedy power pop. And he's like, cool, what's up? I'm like, so my band wrote this song 
called Mandatory Dance Party. And the idea, we want to make a mobile app where if two people have the mobile app, it'll just randomly start if they're physically close to each other. And it'll be like, beep, 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 mandatory dance party. And you have to have a dance party right then on the spot or you'll lose. <laughs> and then we'll figure out how much the foam wiggles and whoever wiggles the most will win. And then it's like, we declare this person the winner. And then it just turns off and that's the end of that. And he's like, I am so in. Obviously, I must design this mobile <laughs> app with you. <laughs> and so we became friends. And then obviously, our bands had to play together and all of the cool band stuff that happened. I went to see his band. He went to see my band. And then after about a year of knowing each other, he's like, you should become a penetration tester. And I was like, no, I am the king of IT. I do software development. Everything revolves around us in our industry. We are gods. He's like, no, if you're a hacker, you're above that. And I was like, Tch. and like at this point, I'd been a, in a senior dev position for like eight or nine years. And it's not as exciting anymore. Like, even though I still loved writing code, I was just like, I wasn't impassioned by it in the same way. And he's like, well, let me show you some stuff. And so he did a talk for my dev team. And then he invited this really awesome guy named Krim Nathu. And he showed us how to reverse engineer malware. And then this other amazing human named Sharif Kusa came and he showed us like how to do code review and all these like, so unbeknownst to me, like every infosec professional that did public speaking, he introduced me to, and I became <laughs> friends with all of them. And I was like, you guys are so amazing. This is so awesome. And then after a year and a half, he's like, damn it, you've got to become a pen tester. I want to be your mentor. I'll teach you everything I know. And so for a year, I did this informal apprenticeship and he got me my first job, like doing pen testing on the side. And then I ended up doing all sorts of things. So I had worked full time for the government. So I switched full time into IT security and I was the CISO who ran the election security for Canada in 2015, where we have you can't see my gesture, but I'm like putting my hands through my hair when we <laughs> voted in Justin Trudeau because he's got such great hair. Like just that is the comment I get the most often from people that are from Canada. But yeah, I like got to run the security all across the entire country, which was super amazing. I got cool. to pen test the prime minister's website. I got to just do all these really cool things and other things I'm not allowed talking about, like counterterrorism stuff. And I just, I was like, this is really awesome. But the government doesn't have a very good budget for training. And I started getting really frustrating because I saw, so there, like, there's a bunch of companies that do it, but I really wanted to take this course from a company called SANS. And I was like, it's so cool. But with the Canadian American Exchange, it was approximately 10,000 Canadian dollars. And when you're a government worker and you're at the top, you make like maybe a hundred, but then you pay 50% in tax. So I'm like, that's 20% of my take home for the entire year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, there's no way I could ever possibly afford this. And my boss, when I had asked, he literally started laughing because he thought I was making a joke. And I was like, can I save my training budget for five years so I can go? And he's like, no. He's like, you want me to take the entire team's budget away? So just you? He's like, that's really selfish. And I was like, oh, that is, I'm sorry. So then he's like, be more creative. And so I submitted a conference talk to a conference because you get a free ticket. Mm -hmm. And my boss was like, that's thinking outside the box. So I just started speaking at conferences so I could get in for free. And at the same time, I joined this amazing community called OWASP. So the Open Web Application Security Project, OWASP. 
Is that an awful acronym? Yes, it is. But is it a wonderful community? Yes, it is. <laughs> and so I became a chapter leader in the city I was living in, Ottawa. And so there's this amazing human named Sharif Kusa, and he was running it, and I helped him run it. And then one day he's like, did you know that if you're a chapter leader, you get a free ticket to one of the trainings? If you can fly yourself to the place and find your a hotel to stay in, you can get in free for, there's two seats for a chapter leader in every training. And I was like, oh, but I'm not a leader. He's like, yes, you are. And you have been for years, Tanya. I'm just telling you the title now, but you've been a leader from day one. And it was like this <laughs> wonderful, beautiful moment in my career. And so then I got to go, I got to speak and then I got to do training for free. And then I just started applying to every single conference. And this is where all my musical performing of 17 years, constantly professionally and professional, being an actress and doing comedy and all these things suddenly took place because I'm really good at public speaking because I've spoken in front of thousands and thousands of people before, except for then one, I had to play a guitar at the same time. And two, I had to sing in key. I'm like, I just have to talk. This is so easy. <laughs> but, and no one's drunk and throwing things. This is great. <laughs> I'm sure now, by now, you have a, a talk about security with a guitar singing in keys, haven't you? <laughs> I should. Well, one of my bands actually was called the Zero Day Reapers. And we actually did all of our songs about cybersecurity. And so it would sound go. like I was talking about, you know, something personal, like a boy breaking up with me or something. But really, it's a song about the heartbleed vulnerability, etc. <laughs> and so like, it was always like this, you think I'm talking about romance, but really, I'm talking about like open source intelligence gathering, etc. Yeah. <laughs> That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to listen to that. <laughs> wow. Um, so, yeah, shoot, go ahead. There's more. Yeah, so, then, so then I started like, like speaking at conferences all the time. And then Microsoft called me and they're like, hey, we thought you might be good for this thing called developer advocacy. We're looking for a security developer advocate. And I, I was like, what? And the guy was explaining. Well, basically, you talk at conferences and you can like write blog posts and you, you know, make positive comments about things on social media and you like help represent Microsoft in a positive way and like share your security research. And so just when you go to conferences, you just have to say you're from Microsoft. And I was like, oh, and he's like, and it's a, it's a job, like it's a full time job and like we'll pay for your travel and we'll pay your salary. I was like, shut up. <laughs> I, thought I was like, who told you to call me and make this crap up? That's not a job. That's my hobby. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no. So he spent 15 minutes convincing me it's a real job and that he was not messing with me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this sounds cool. And he's like, why don't you come down to Seattle and you can meet the team. And there are all these famous people on the team that I really looked up to, like Jess Frizzelli and Ashley Wilson and just all these other people that I follow on social media that I admired. And so I got to meet them, which was amazing. And they're just like, yeah, so like we don't have a security advocate and like you're already doing what we need you to do. Like, how about it? And I was like, okay. Yeah, and so then eventually I left Microsoft. I started my own company named We Hack Purple. And we made all these AppSec and secure coding and Azure security courses and this giant online community. And this leads to how I met you. So a few months ago, we were acquired by Bright Security, which is basically my friend's company. I was already their advisor for quite a while. 
And they're just like, what if our two companies were just one company? Like we know. So I've always wanted to, this might sound silly and not very businesslike, but I always wanted to give away all my information for free. Like that's why I want to do conference talks. Like I get in for free, but I also, I really want to make the world more secure. And so because I was running, we had purple and I have employees to pay and bills to pay. I'd charge money for the courses, but they're like, we will agree to give all your courses away for free. If you'd come and do developer relations with us. And so keep doing what you're doing, but say you're from bright, keep publishing blog posts, but also publish it on our blog and like help make new DevRel people like help mentor people so they can do it too. And then you can spread your message even further. And I was just like, well, that sounds kind of awesome. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> and then Bright introduced me to you. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so I'm glad it is. Circle. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is an awesome start. I, I'd love to come back to one thing. You said you were you were already some kind of deep in your career. So eight, nine years, I think you said. And I, I interpret, I'm, I'm not sure you say that, but kind of getting not bored, but, but less excited about what was coming. Yeah. And this colleague or, or this friend came up and said, okay, now, now you should really do pen testing and been nagging you for, for a few times already. What, what really convinced you that the, that was the time for you and you had the skills to do this, the mindset, and to give it a try? Was just just a talk saying, okay, let's, let's do this, or was, was it more? Well, so I was running this Lunch and Learn program for my dev team. So I, I had been a senior dev for eight years, maybe nine years at that point, but I'd been a software developer for 17 years at that point. Ooh, okay, right. And I was a bit, so I was working in the government. I was a bit frustrated because they didn't want to do DevOps. They didn't want to move fast and break things. They're very, very, very conservative. And the training budgets were really tiny. And so I was like, listen, I need to get my devs modernized. I want them to learn new things. And so I started this Lunch and Learn program where basically I would just go to meetups all the time and see a cool talk. And I'd be like, your talk was so cool. Will you come and talk to my team? I'll buy you lunch. Right. Or, and they would, they would always do it for free. They were just like, yeah, I'd love to come and talk. And so someone, you know, talked to us about Team Foundation Server and how to automate a bunch of cool stuff. Someone talked to us about SharePoint. And my team got more passionate about work. They just got more engaged. They were a lot happier. Morale went up. And so I asked the bosses, I was like, listen, you know, everyone seems really happy. Can I have off topic topics? And they're like, like what? I'm like, well, I run a lot. Like I'm, I, then I was super into running. Now I'm doing other physical activities. But I was like, I'm super into running. And it turns out like a bunch of the team keep asking me about my running. What if I brought in a running coach to teach us, you know, paths we could do from here at lunch, how to make sure you're not that stinky guy in the meetings in the afternoon, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so someone came in for that, for nutrition, for all sorts of different topics, but with still IT constantly all through it. And we opened it to more than just my team, like all of IT could come and eventually the whole department could come. And then another department reached out to us and they're like, what you're doing is amazing. Can we stream it across the entire Canadian government? And I was like, okay, that sounds cool. (laughs) And I just like kept doing this on top of my regular job. And then basically this guy who became my mentor, he was like, well, I want to teach you about SQL injection. So he gave us this talk and he took one of our apps and he did an injection on the login screen and he got past the login screen with no password. And I was like, no, how did that happen? This is not acceptable. My apps are perfect. This cannot be. So I was like, I must know. And so then he showed us another thing. The next time I'm like, no, I must master this as well. I must know all the things. And so then I just kept like, 
as he showed, so then, you know, his, his friend came in, who taught us about malware and the other guy came in and showed us like how to do physical security on your technology. So like he taught, he had like a router that had like a fake malicious um, SSID and blah, blah, and like how to scan your network and all this. And it just, and unbeknownst to me, I was like cycling through every single security speaker in Ottawa mm-hmm. and like meeting this core part of the community inadvertently. Cause I was like, do you have a friend that knows how to do this? They're like, oh yeah, that guy's named Nadim. He's so great. And they were so, so ridiculously like welcoming. They're so excited about my excitement. And like, I found out later, a lot of them charge thousands of dollars and they're like, but you were so cute. You were so excited and you're so passionate. And they're like, she just clearly wants to learn so much. I'm not even going to tell her I have a speaker's fee. I'm just going to do it for free. (laughs) And like some of them, I would like buy them a coffee and a piece of cake to say thank you. And it'd be like $6 and they'd be like, thank you, sweetheart. That's very nice of you. (laughs) But the, and then like, oh, wasp, I was just like, man, I can organize talks about anything I want. I don't even need my work's permission so we can like hack stuff and it can be longer than lunch time. It can be like two hours. And so then I, I helped lead that chapter for around six years. And I just started going to every other meetup and presenting. I'm like, did you know this? Isn't this cool? Come on, JavaScript people, come join OWASP. And our chapter went from around 100 people to around 1,200 people. And we went. Yeah, and our chapter, like, I remember complaining to the organizer. I was like, why is our chapter only old white men? Why aren't there younger people? Why aren't there women? Why aren't there, like, like, Ottawa is very multicultural, it is not just white people. It's not just straight people. It's not just old people. It's like every type of person. Why aren't they all here? He's like, I don't know, Tanya. Go get them. Invite them. Tell them we want them. Like, what can we do to make it better? And so we did a lot of outreach to all these other community groups. And like, I went and spoke at every single women's meetup and was like, come on down. It's awesome. And we want you. And we just started having more and more people. And the way I started public speaking was every year we had only male speakers and I would invite five women, 10 women, all of them would say, Oh, I don't know enough. And some of them had been doing their job like 20 years. And they're like, I don't know enough. And I'm like, are you kidding? You're amazing. And so every one of them kept saying no, no, no. And so finally Sharif was like, Tanya, if you want a female speaker, I think it needs to be you. I think maybe if you're the first one, then other women will feel less shy And then they might be willing to do it because they saw you do it. And so I was like, well, I don't know what to talk about. And he's like, well, what did you learn recently that was super cool? And I'm like, oh, I learned how to scan my apps with a a DAST scanner, like a dynamic web app scanner, and then fix the things I found. And I've been showing everyone at work it. And he's like, well, why don't you make a presentation about that? Like, are you a dev? Do you want to make sure your app is secure and like look smart from your security team? This is how you do it. And so I made a presentation and then I subjected so many community members to it. I was like, could you just sit still for one hour while I teach this to you? You could tell me like if it's good or I'm speaking too fast. And then I subjected every dev team at work to it. And then finally I was like, okay, I'm going to do it for OWASP. And I remember I was standing there like getting ready, hyperventilating basically. (laughs) about how I'm going to give this talk. And there's this community member named Alex, who's so nice. And he's like, why are you nervous? I'm like, because you guys are my peers. Like your opinion is literally the most important to me, my team at work and you guys, I really care. Like if I speak at the JavaScript meetup, those are strangers who cares what they think. You guys are the ones I value. Like you guys are the ones that know more about this than me. 
And he's like, we love you. You're our leader. If you got up there and drooled, we tell we would tell you it was pretty good. Like, don't worry. Everyone here wants you to succeed so much. We're so excited that you're taking this chance with us. And so then we started making our community a place specifically for people to give their first talk. Ooh. And we started encouraging people and mentoring people and giving them an opportunity. Like, do you just want to give a five minute talk about, you know, a vulnerability that came out and you give this short briefing and this is your chance to try public speaking. And so, yeah, we took my experience and tried to make that for everyone, the super supportive, helpful, like positive feedback type of loop for them. And so we got so many new speakers. It was really amazing. And I've tried to emulate this in We Hack Purple as much as possible, giving people the chance. Like, we know you have no experience. Everyone has to start somewhere. Start with us. And so, yeah, I had like the most welcoming ever experience into InfoSec, I think. It yeah, sounds between like OWASP it. and Ottawa, like just wonderful humans all around. This is absolutely awesome. I, I wish it was like this everywhere. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. That's that's truly amazing. Did did you? Or yeah, it's a loaded question, but I know that I had some kind of of change of mindset when I started seeing the world in how can I break this instead of how can I build this. Did you see this as well? You're, you're nodding heavily. That's why it was probably a loaded question. <laughs> How did your colleagues react to all these talks that you were imposing on them at first? And probably you were so eager to see, to see them afterwards when you started showing them how let's break things first and let's see the words through this breaking lens. Well, I feel like, again, I had a bit of a unique experience. So I had joined Elections Canada as a dev lead and they had a project that wasn't going very well. And my specialty became, as a dev leader, writing projects that were off course. I became really good at rescuing mm -hmm. projects and just being like, you this, you that, cut this, do this, and just making sure we made it to the finish line. And so I had helped the team make it to the finish line months in advance of the election. So that was awesome because we're worried we weren't going to make it. And we, it's a special application that has to run even in the Arctic on a 32 kilobit modem. So it had to be extraordinarily fast. And so we did a lot of super cool stuff. And once I had that in line, I basically told my director, you know, I really want to switch to the security team. And the security team knew my feelings because I kept reporting security problems to them. I fixed every single security bug. I hired the pen tester. I did all the scoping, like every single security thing, I would do it. And I was like constantly bugging them and talking to them and suggesting things. And they're like, yes, God, Tanya, we know. And so one of them had come up to me and said, so we just got one new staffing position and we're looking for a junior security person. Do you know anyone who might be interested? And I remember like George was like in a chair in my office, like leaning back with his arms behind his head. And he's like, you might know someone. And I was like, oh, and he's like, would you possibly be? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> But then we had to convince my director because she really didn't want to lose me. And he's like, she completed the project. The project's done. She's rocked all of this stuff. You know, she really wants this for her career progression. You know that she's, you know, hacking and doing all these things online all the time and leading this community. You know, this is where she belongs. And so eventually my director was like, this is better for Tanya, even though I think it sucks she's leaving. I'm like, I'm just sitting on the other side of the big office, really. I'm still here. She's like, go on and go to the other team. Yeah. And so, so then when I 
I originally just started doing incident response and doing like general IT security things and learning very quickly. And then because I am, I am extremely organized, potentially anal retentive type of person. I'm very type A. And so very quickly, I was actually put in charge of running the organization of the security events for the election. And it, I wasn't expecting it, but they're just like, you're going to be the CISO and the head incident responder because you're the most organized. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, because I'm like that. I'm very strict. I'm very on time. And they're like, we know you don't know the most about security on this team, but we know that you always take into account all of the advice you're getting and you make good decisions. And so we're going to have you lead this so the technical people can do the technical thing. And so I did a really good job of that. We got nominated for a big award. It was really cool. And election day went so well. We were not in the news at all for anything other than the election results, which is exactly what you want. (laughs) And so then after I still had five or six months left in this two-year contract, and I said, okay, so I did analysis of all the incidents we had. And 26% of them were related to our software. And we don't have a formal AFSEC program. And we should. And here's the return on investment I can promise you if you let me do X, Y, and Z in the next five months. You have to pay me anyway. So why not pay me to secure all your apps? And everyone was like, oh, you know, that's the thing she really wants to do. And so, you know, they approved it and I got to launch my first AppSec program and I made a security champions program and I taught them whole how to, you know, pew, 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 pew with the DAS scanners and fix all the bugs. And basically our security posture went up from a software perspective quite a bit, right? I'm like, all of our apps are officially respectable because <laughs> if you've never scanned them before, you don't know where you're at, right? And some of them were great and some of them needed a bit of sh- some polishing and shining. And so... When I was presenting the thing, I remember the first email I sent out. I said, I'm going to break into a bank at lunch. Who wants to watch? And then I sent that (laughs) to the 100 devs. And they're like, Tanya, you know you can't. What are you doing? And then I I sent another email. I'm like, P.S. I have carbs. And so I had like donuts and bagels or something. And I was like, come join us. And then I taught them, like, this is a fake bank that's from an intentionally vulnerable website from OWASP, and we're going to scan it and see we found these problems, and look, this is bad, we don't want this to happen to us, and I'm like, I need your help. And because I was their peer, because I had been on the dev team for so long, so everyone knew me, I'm like, I eat lunch with you, please help me. And so it went really, really well. It was when I went to other companies And I didn't already know the devs and they didn't realize, oh, I'm one of you, but I sit on the security team, but Mm -hmm. I'm inside my heart. I am a developer. And so you have to make a whole new relationship when you join a new organization and build trust. But all the devs are already like, oh, it's Tanya, head nerd. What's up? Right. It's like a different, like you already have this great relationship with them. They're like, she's the bossy one that made us get that stuff done. (laughs) But it was, it was really great. And it's quite frankly, a really lovely place to work. Like people who work at elections feel very passionately about democracy and fair elections and fighting voter suppression and stuff. So it's, I don't know if you've ever worked at a place where everyone truly believes inside their core at the work you do every day. It's very, very nice. It's very nice to be a part of that. 
it is so energizing and, and giving you really love every day for what you do. You almost answered the question I wanted to ask you. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> so you are uh, your, your, your former company or, or still company. I'm not sure if you're still running it. So she hacks purple. Uh, we yeah. hack purple. Yes. The purple is obviously for the blue and red teams, for the red teams attacking a, a, a system and the blue team defending a system. And you really yes. chose to be in the middle. So as you say, there is, there is, tremendous advantage in in being on both sides and really bringing the uh, the knowledge of the red team into the blue team and and helping the blue team understand what the red team is doing etc but are there some drawbacks at being in the middle as well there are always drawbacks of signing up for too much work that's the thing i'm really bad at i like love the word yes and i'm really bad at saying the word no so there's definitely that But I would say, so I'm actually, I just started writing in my next book, Alice and Bob Learn Secure Coding. And I I did this big poll on Twitter. So this is a question for devs only. Do you want to just learn about all the defenses or do you want me to go into deep detail about vulnerabilities? Because so when I was at We Hack Purple, I designed training and I studied a lot about how people learn and how people who have been outside of school learn Like, so if you've been outside of school for a long time, your learning muscles are weak, if that makes sense. If you haven't been teaching yourself things and keeping up on that. And so I I learned about learning and I learned about how to get messages across. And I also asked a lot of people's advice and opinions over and over and over again about other trainings. So I was like, you know, you, you devs, you know, you took all this training about how to hack networks. Did you feel that made you a better dev? And they're like, no. I'm like, you know, you took this penetration course. Did this make you like, did this make you write more secure code? And they're like, almost all of them said no. They're like, it was cool. It was super nifty. I like did SQL injection and that felt awesome. I'm like, it's been four weeks. Do you remember how? They're like, no, Mm -hmm. we just copied and pasted the thing. And I was like, okay. I'm like, do you feel you know how to write more secure SQL now or to make calls to the database in a more secure way? They're like, Oh, they briefly brushed over that. We're supposed to use parameterized queries. And I'm like, okay, do you feel like that was the best way for you to learn? And there's this company in Cincinnati that I worked with a lot that I won't name because I don't know if they want me to name them, but they were really great. Their head of AppSec was named Josh. And he did so many different surveys for me with his devs. And so I would provide some training and then he would survey them like, was Tanya funny? Was this lesson too long? Like, what did you want more of? What did you want less of? Was this good? Was it long enough? Did you learn the things you wanted? And then I would update it and train more of his devs. And he was like, he is so great. And he's like, well, I want to know this from my devs anyway. So if we work together, like, because he had paid like a fortune for training the year before. So all the devs could learn the OWASP top 10 and how to hack the OWASP top 10. And he's like, yeah, like six months later, I was like, do you know how to still hack anything? They're like, no, we've never practiced. Mm-hmm. Why would mm-hmm. we? That's not our job. He's like, do you feel you write more secure code? And they're like, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to design a secure coding course where people know the reason why they're doing the thing, but concentrate on how to write awesome code. Does that make sense? Yes, and is. so like, if you're going to do this, here's the best way to do it. Here's all the reasons it's the best way to do it. Here's how to do it. Here's examples of what could go wrong. And then I have really silly quizzes where I'm like, anyway, my quizzes are very silly and sometimes they're (laughs) passive aggressive. Like, did you do the homework assignment? Tanya can see everything. 
<laughs> and it's like, yes, I did the homework assignment. No, I didn't. And I feel bad about it. I'm going to do it later. I promise, Tanya, please don't leave me alone. <laughs> I feel like understanding why you have to do it that way is really important. Like, why do you have to use parameterized queries? Well, because when you do that, those parameters that come in are treated as data and they're never treated as code. And the way injection happens is you've tricked an interpreter into thinking some of your data is actually code mm -hmm. and they think it's your code. So they should trust it and they should like run it. Mm -hmm. We don't want that because that's an attacker's code. That's obviously a potential disaster. And so parameterized query takes all the power away from it and isolates it to only be treated as data. And then you've just destroyed any sort of attack. And they're like, oh, I had no idea. I thought they just wanted it that way. Mm -hmm. And so when you explain all the reasons behind something, it becomes more important. I, I feel like if you don't understand the why, you're less likely to do, do the extra work to make it happen. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't think necessarily that you have to be a really great hacker to know how to write good code. I feel like it's a different skill set. Mm -hmm. But you're right, though. When I switched to security, at first, my, I remember the very first pen test I did by myself where I was the boss. My mentor kept saying, take off your dev hat. Stop trying to fix things and make them work. Put on your black hat. And what can you do? What can you force it to do that it should not do, Tanya? Mm -hmm. And just push it. Push the app as hard as you can. Try to work around things. Try to take control. And I was like, how? He's like, that's your job. And you have eight hours left on this contract to figure it out. <laughs> And I destroyed no that thing. <laughs> that is really cool. I'd like to come back to, to the training piece, though. Where do you draw the line? Or how deep do you draw the line? W one thing that I've been seeing again and again is, okay, you explain the why, you explain the techniques, you explain everything. But then the people, so it was not in pen, in pen testing or security. In my, my, in my case, it was more on the, on the for instance, a TDD uh, side. So how do you do test-driven development? And people understand and they're happy and they're, they're great with the exercise and do the quizzes right. And then you ask them two weeks later, and did you apply this? No, it doesn't work with all code. And, and it always blew up in my mind like this, saying, well, no, in, in our case, it doesn't work. Y yes, it does. But you have to, to work around the, the first limitations. You have probably to, uh, to refactor your code a little bit because it become, it's not testable in the first place. And so I don't know if it's applicable. I think it's, it's probably applicable. You have to do parameterized uh, queries. And if the system is reluctant in letting you do this in the first place, then you cannot just come out of the training and, and start doing parameterized crazy on, on, your, on your code. You have to refactor it. You have to make it available uh, able to do this and then you can apply the, uh, the, the the learnings so how deep do you go in those trainings do you also get hands-on with their software and say okay let's roll up my sleeves let's see what we have there oh yes it's going to be fun uh, <laughs> and start refactoring with them to show them yes it's possible do you do this well in the on-demand training online we do not do that there's mm -hmm. not okay. really a space for that yeah, when, when I was developing We Hack Purple, I had to decide if I wanted to create an online training platform. And I was like, then I have to do fundraising and yeah. then I have to bring in investors and do like a whole bunch more stuff if I'm going to create my own platform. So there's just code review where you look at the code and obviously things are missing or improperly implemented. But when I do live enterprise training, so I still do live enterprise training on the side. We often, like in advance, I want to know what their tech stack is so I can give them some best practices and we can talk mm -hmm, about specific mm -hmm. things. And 
and we sign a non-disclosure because at some point someone's like, well, what about this? And they tell me basically a, a disaster that's currently happening. <laughs> and it's like, how do we fix this? And I'm like, okay, let's press the pause button on the slides and all the other things we're doing. And then let's solve this problem together. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's usually at least one per training and which is good though. It's good because it's quite often it's that they don't know what questions to ask the security team or they're worried they'll get in trouble. And so then I bring up the thing and they're like, well, like, you know, we're supposed to keep in a secret management tool, but we asked for one and the security team said they were going to do it, but then they said it was too expensive and they canned that project and we don't know where to put our secrets. And I was like, oh, where are the secrets right now? <laughs> yeah, basically. Like, so okay. then we had to come up with a problem to solve it. And basically the, the manager of the IT security team had no idea that like a junior person had canned that project a year ago. And so there's like a lot of things that if you'll come up live, as for like getting my hands dirty and coding with them, I don't think there's usually time for that and like a training mm-hmm. time, but I've done consulting quite a bit and sometimes it gets to that it kind of depends. Like whenever I've done full-time AppSec, you end up doing that because mm-hmm. you have the time because you're full-time. But if you're in there for eight hours or 16 hours of training or something, and that's all you've got, it's like if I start rolling up my sleeves and we do this, like everything else is done, right? Like we're not going to finish the training and I'm not going to complete the project and So you're sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place. I feel like I see a lot of training right now where the secure coding training, it's almost always, this is a vulnerability. And these are the ways you could solve this one vulnerability. Well, I've like flipped that on its head where I'm like, these are the things you need to do to secure your code. So if you do proper input validation and you do it like this and you do it on in all of these situations, you will prevent this, 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 this. If you do output encoding in these situations and you do it in this way, you'll prevent this, this, that, right? So I feel mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. one defense can actually solve many vulnerabilities if done properly and completely. And so I feel like I don't know. I've looked at a lot of other people's training and I'm like, I don't want to just make the same training everyone else is doing. And so that's my viewpoint and that's the way I go about it. And I find a lot of places they're like, we do secure coding training and it's all just hacking. And I, I personally enjoy that and think it's fun, but I guess I've decided to look at it from a different perspective. And when I write the book, it's going to be from a defensive perspective. Like how do I write really kick-ass code? Mm-hmm. And then these are the things you're protecting against, but also your code's better now it's safer, it's more efficient, and it's going to work this way every single time and not sometimes do this weird, crazy thing if people put in a single quote. Do you, do you still do a pen testing on the side? No, theoretically, I don't. But I did, <laughs> I did one in November, but I'm not supposed to okay. anymore. Um, one of my clients bought a company and they're like almost done the acquisition and they're just like, could you just do like a quick look and tell us how scary it is Mm. so we can renegotiate the price? So I did. (laughs) But theoretically, as part of my new quality time, I'm going to spend with bright security for the next two years. I do not do pen testing on the side, only secure coding training (laughs) and AppSec training. Okay. (laughs) Because they they want my full attention, which is extremely reasonable. It's totally reasonable. It is indeed. It is indeed. Just uh, before we, uh, we we start wrapping up, I just wanted to to mention Alice and Bob. I, I realized actually not so long ago that there is actually 25 more personas in the realm of Alice and Bob. So Alice and Bob are two very well-known personas when we speak about, about security. And if you go to the Wikipedia page, there is 
25 others are really coin characters with their personality traits and what they're doing and how they should be called etc it's really worth a look i really encourage everyone to go there and have a look at it and then you have personas to name in your code and and your examples and we'll see how i'm going to take mark and i don't remember who who is there exactly you probably know them by heart but if you had one advice to give to developers who haven't dipped their toes into blue and red yet they're really developers yet like 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 you were and like i'm still and say okay you should start stepping into the the secretary realm and you don't have a tanya in your team organizing lunches every week and bringing the whole security aspect of vancouver in your company (laughs) Where, where should it start I would say there's two communities I would recommend, and I'm super biased because one of them's mine. So I would recommend joining the WeHack Purple community, which is free, and taking some of our free courses and, you know, coming to some of our free events. So like everything in the community is free, including the events and the training and, and just checking it out and talking to people. And then another thing I would suggest is if you have OWASP in your city, so there's over 300 chapters around the world, check that out. And if you don't have an OWASP chapter in your city, that's okay because they have an online component. And so they have a YouTube channel with hundreds of absolutely outstanding talks and presentations. They have, like, they're just amazing. They have so much content, it's absolutely unbelievable. And then actually I have a third thing. So last one, every Monday on Twitter, I do this thing it's a hashtag cyber mentoring Monday. And so every Monday since 2018, I run this hashtag and the idea of the hashtag is it's to try to help people find professional mentors. And so you can use this hashtag to call out and ask for help essentially and say, I want, like I'm new to cyber and I'm really interested in learning blah. And people will reach out to you. So make sure your direct messages are open. And basically they'll reach out to you and say, oh, you should read this book. This book changed my career or, oh, want to meet up for a virtual coffee and talk about this, or, oh, what interests you about this? Okay, have you considered this? Or there's this course, or there's this or that. And professional mentors really helped me get to the next level and helped me focus a lot more. And no, because like I went to the library and checked out every single book on cyber and read all of them. And then I was like, I'm just confused now. Who's this <laughs> person? <laughs> like it really didn't help. And I just didn't know where to start. And I feel like one of those three places is a really fantastic way to start. That is an awesome answer. Thank you very, very much. And I add uh, links to all of this in the show notes. So you'll just uh, scroll down and then click on it and you'll, you'll get there. Tanya, where would be the best place to continue the discussion with you? Oh, definitely. So if you look up She Hacks Purple, all one word, that's me. So I have sheaxpurple.ca, so that's my website. I have a newsletter. I am constantly on Twitter tweeting silly, silly things, like memes of Bruce Willis being on fire and talking about cyber. Um, I have a podcast, the the We Hack Purple podcast. But basically, if you just look up She Hacks Purple on any platform, that's me, and you could probably reach me there. The only place like you really can't reach me is Facebook because I don't like it, but my marketing team made me make an account. So if you want to talk to my intern, go to Facebook. <laughs> you noted. So I'll add all the links, including the Facebook ones, to be able to talk to your intern. <laughs> she's really nice. Actually, she graduated, so I guess she's not an intern anymore. But anyway, Ooh. if you want to talk to Amanda, go to my Facebook page. Awesome. Tanya, it's been a blast listening to your story. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. This has been great. (laughs) Awesome. And this has been another episode of Devil's Journey. 
Stick around to after the credits to hear the song Tanya spoke about, Heartbleed, from the Zero Day Reapers. And we'll see each other next week. Me.